0: You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Lord, we thank you so much for the good news of the gospel. Uh, Without it, uh, we'd be sunk. So, Lord, thank you for our freedom uh, that comes by your cross and resurrection. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, the gospel is good news and not good advice, and that might seem pretty uh, obvious uh, to... um, to us at the Advent and even to you as Christians, uh, but really not. Uh, I um, had an interesting encounter uh, where I was talking to someone who was not a Christian, and there were some other Christians there. And in the course of the conversation, I found myself in greater disagreement with the Christians than with a non-Christian. So they were saying things like, uh, well, you know, God's dialing you up, and it's really up to you to pick up the phone and to get your life together in such a way that you can actually respond to his call on your life. And I said, well, with all due respect, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. Right? And, and not only is it dumb, uh, what makes it dumb is that it's not what the Bible teaches. Uh, and, and then it becomes good advice. And so let's actually see what the Bible has to say about this. I'm just going to read... Uh, Mark chapter 1, uh, it's really just uh, two verses. Uh, Chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. Now, after John was arrested, that's John the Baptist, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Now, this word gospel, uh, evangel, it means message is not a word that is exclusive to Christianity. In fact, in the ancient world, uh, they would have understood what it meant because the connotation of it is, is one of heralding good news. So when, who was it? Th- who ran the first marathon? Thedipides? Some of you people know this kind of stuff. Uh, no one takes classics anymore, but I'm pretty sure it was him. And when he ran uh, from Marathon to declare the victory, and he came in and he yelled, Nike, victory, that was gospel. right? He was heralding good news. Uh, or in the ancient world, it would have been a declaration that, uh, not, that, that you've been liberated, that the occupying force has been cast out of your city and you now are enjoying the freedom uh, that has been brought to you by the liberating army. So really, it's, it's a heralding of, uh, of good news, of a stated fact. Like this is the reality. Um, whether you believe it or not, it's there uh, for you. And hopefully, you'll live your life into it. And that's the meaning that, that Jesus brings into his ministry. So the very first thing we hear him say in Mark's gospel is, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. And Mark tells us that he goes up into Galilee, that's the northern area of Israel, around the Sea of Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God. So what is the good news of God? Well, the good news of God is embodied in the person and work of Jesus Christ. So the good news is this, that God came into the world in order to rescue you. He lived a life of perfection that none of us can own up to. He died in our stead the death that we deserved. And on the third day, he was raised from the dead. And all who put their trust in him are saved. Or to put another way, are reconciled to God the Father and made God's children, where our life is transformed here on earth, but it's also ensured in heaven, and then on the day that Jesus returns, we will dwell in the new heaven and the new earth with Him. An actual physical existence. Right? That's the good news. But as I've said before in this class, I, I, I'm running into more and more people who have grown up in the church and they don't have a clue uh, about what the gospel is. Uh, people will say things to me like, I'll ask the question, uh, Well, what. Um, what is the gospel? And they'll say, "What well, to love God with everything that you have in your life and your neighbor as yourself." Well, that's not good news. I mean, have you met my neighbors? Um, I know that I, I should actually have really great, uh, really great neighbors, except for the woman who keeps giving me a hard time about the chickens. But, um, but the demand on our lives. Of, of love God with everything that you have and love your neighbor as yourself uh, on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets, uh, our liturgy is really helpful here. What's our response in the liturgy? Lord have mercy. I mean, nobody, we don't yell amen and then say church is over and we walk out and, 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 and go and do. Um, or I, I've been part of a ministry, uh, which is really a great ministry in and of itself, but the one thing that sticks in me is after you go through this sort of initiatory it's a weekend away, and after the weekend away, I remember um, they put a cross around my neck, and I said, I am counting on Christ, which is really lovely, isn't it? Because, I mean, that's, that's true. I'm counting on Christ. But as they put the cross around my neck, I say, I'm counting on Christ. They say to me, and Christ is counting on you. I'm like, well, shoot, he's doomed, right? And it, it's two totally different messages that in some ways are oppositional to one another. Or the guy that, tells me, that told me a couple weeks ago, you know, I'm a Ten Commandments guy. I live my life according to the Ten Commandments, and, and that's all well and good. And then we start to dig a little bit about what that actually means and, and whether or not, I mean, by the end of it, the guy was like, man, I'm a Two Commandments guy, <laughs> right? Uh, you really start to unpack that kind of stuff. And, and, and then at a very baseline, what people are really saying is that, you know, if I live a pretty good life, then I'm going to be okay with God. But it's compared to what? Well, it's compared to his son, which means that all of us fall short of the glory of God. That, that's, uh, and, and a lot of people say, well, I don't really like talking about that. It's, it's depressing. But it's that news that actually sends us to Jesus where Jesus says, it's all done. You you don't have to, there's no ladder that you can build to heaven that is going to advance you closer to me. And it's not as if you do the best that you can do and Jesus picks up where you leave off. But actually, I've done it all through my cross and resurrection. Now, a lot of people will rightfully say, well, that's too easy. I mean, look at the thief on the cross. Uh, Jesus promises him what? Today you will be with me in paradise. But hey, he wasn't baptized. He didn't grow up in church. He was a bad dude. That's why he's on the cross. And so for some people, I can see why the gospel is infuriating. Right? Because you've sort of done, I've done all of this kind of stuff, and you've really not done anything except called on the name of the Lord, and he's saved you. And yet we're all in the same boat. And that's the scary part of Jesus telling the parable of the prodigal son. You remember it? Bless you. Where uh, the son goes off and squanders his living on, uh, on prostitutes and just recklessness, and uh, the older brother stays around. He's very dutiful. The uh, The younger brother has this rehearsed speech, he comes back, the father sees him on the horizon, comes running, wraps his arms around him, puts a cloak on him, puts a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet, kills the fattened calf, has a huge party. The older brother comes in and says, what in the world is going on? He says, your younger brother, who once was lost, now is found, and your dad has thrown a party with him. The older brother brother stays outside of the party, the dad comes out and basically pleads with the son to come in. Come into the party. You should rejoice that your brother has come back. And in some ways, this party is just as much uh, about rejoicing in you than it is your brother if you would just come in. And of course, where Jesus ends it is the the older brother standing outside of the party and saying, if that's the kind of party that you're going to throw, I want nothing to do with it. Because in my economy, that dude gets kicked out of the house and I get the party because I deserve it. And a lot of us bring those thoughts into Christianity and have even been uh, overlaid into our Christian faith. And this is one of the great problems with youth ministry that we have, and I praise God for Cameron Cole and Rooted, uh, which is a ministry that has come out of the Advent that really is trying to have gospel-equipped ministers. Because if there's ever a time when you need to hear the gospel, it's high school. Or even more yet, remember middle school or junior high? They should just eliminate that. Like they should just, just say, you know what? You're not going to go to school for three years. Just, just not going to do... And just, you know, go hang out for three years and then in ninth grade, come back. Uh, that, would, uh, that would be okay, I, I think. Uh, but in those times of, of identity and, and trying to figure out... But how many youth groups and how many of us grew up in a youth ministry where basically we were taught... If you don't sleep around, if you don't drink, you don't smoke, you're fine. Right? That's basically, basically it. And so, of course, then you go off to college and you begin to do at least one of those, if not all of those things. And then all of a sudden you start to get this feeling of, well, maybe I'm not a Christian. You know, I feel like a hypocrite going to, going to church. And so I guess I'll just eat, drink, and be merry and, and just do whatever it is that I want because the Gospels ever, never really actually taken root in your heart and it may not even have been expressed to you. That, that no one ever said to you because especially in youth ministry everybody's afraid that if you tell people, the, if you give kids the Gospel that they're gonna steamroll you, that they're gonna run all over you. But is that what happens in the Bible? No. The actual opposite happens when the Gospel is applied rather than the law. Because what the law does is the good advice, and I was in college, I've always been in a small group Bible study, but when I was in college, I had an accountability partner who was supposed to help me work through issues in my own Christian walk, and it was supposed to ask me tough questions like, how are things going in this area of your life? And uh, I don't think I've ever lied to one person more in my life than that guy. (laughs) Oh, it's awesome, man. I'm getting up every morning and... And, 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 and doing my quiet time, and, and life is on. He's like, oh, that's just... And I actually left feeling pretty good because I started believing my own lies. I'm like, well, that was, it got out of that. Uh, but in fact, uh, one group that I had, uh, it didn't get real and effective until, because we were all just trying to hold one another accountable. And, you know, the things that we would, we wouldn't completely lie. We would say things like, you know, I just got to be a better friend, or, you know, I need to be, do a better job of witnessing, or uh, I just need to have greater commitment to this, that, or the other. But it was all kind of just out there in the ether. It was never real and personal until one guy came in our small group, and, and uh, you know, I did my thing. This is what's going on for the week. And then uh, we said, well, so-and-so, how's your week going? He goes, well, my girlfriend, Mr. Period. Right? Not what you were expecting, this morning, uh, but nor is it what you were expecting to hear in a small group. And so the response, which I- I'm grateful for, was not, hey, man, we got to talk about sexual purity right now. Right? That ship kind of sailed, didn't it? Right? What we actually need to talk about is where is Jesus here and now in the midst of this? And I've never, ex- uh, I, only in Christianity do I experience this, where all of a sudden all of us gathered around this guy and said, no matter what happens, we're, we're with you. Like, we're going to help you through this. Like, if it means changing diapers or whatever. Now, it turned out she wasn't pregnant. But nonetheless, the response was not, you have no place here. You need to be shunned. You need to go away. You need... And yet, oftentimes in the church, that's the experience that people have. And so they think, because I'm not behaving in a Christian manner, or I've had some sort of fall from grace, or if you only knew who I was then you would have nothing to do with me. And yet time and time again, we saw it a couple weeks ago with Jesus and the Samaritan woman at the well. If you knew me, you wouldn't have anything to do with me. Jesus says, oh, I know who you are. And one of the things I do love about our liturgy um, is, um, I don't know if you knew this, but every time we do a communion service, there's actually a gospel presentation in it So after the minister stands up and says, um, I'll just tell you what he says or she says, Uh, we say, uh, Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, who of His great mercy hath promised forgiveness of sins to all those who with hearty repentance and true faith turn unto Him, have mercy upon you, pardon and deliver you from all your sins, confirm and strengthen you in all goodness, and bring you to everlasting life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Does everybody then just sit down? Well, y'all are kneeling at that point. But no, hear what comfortable words our Savior Christ saith unto all who truly turn to him. And so this is the genius of Cranmer. He outlines the gospel. Come unto me, all ye that travail and are heavy laden, and I will refresh you. Meaning, are you burdened? Are there those things in your life that you have been hiding from the church, that you've been hiding from God, and in fact, you've already been invited to to sort of open up about because we've just prayed Almighty God unto whom all hearts are open, all desires known and from whom no secrets are hid. And that doesn't make us hide under the pew. It makes us say, God, you see me. You see me. But the thing about it is is that the, the burden of them is intolerable. I feel the weight of my sin and my life so acutely. And I just need to figure out a way to throw it off. Come to me and I'll refresh you. Well, that sounds all well and good, but why should I believe that? So God loved the world that he gave his only begotten son to the end, that all that believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Uh, This is the answer, right? Well, but God, you don't know what I've done in the past. You're not aware of, of my behavior. You're not aware of my history, or you probably are, and so you and I have just kind of steered clear of one another. So God loved the world. Not people who can get their acts together, uh, not people who, uh, who are righteous outwardly, uh, but the entire world that he gave his only begotten son to the end that all that believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That it really is simply is believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. And of course, there's a difference between believing in something and believing on something and this passage is trying to get us to understand that it's build, believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. Because there you are, weary and heavy laden, and you want to come to the Lord Jesus Christ, but you've got to get across this bridge. And that bridge is Jesus himself, crucified. But you look at the bridge and you say, hey, I believe that that bridge will hold me if I were to walk across it. But it's not until you actually walk across it and say, I'm actually believing on this bridge. It's not just an intellectual ascent, but I'm actually going to cross this bridge over into fellowship with God, or as John puts it here in Jesus' words, that I might have everlasting life, from death to life. But then even after you're converted, we're going to, I think, maybe as a parish read Pilgrim's Progress. It's amazing. It really is such a great book. And we'll only read the first part. Christiana, we can read another time. But when it comes to Christian... And in it, there's a little bit where he's going through the valley of the shadow of death and Christians trying to get through. And all of a sudden, he has some of the most debased, awful thoughts that he could ever possibly imagine. And what it is, is these demons are coming up to him in the valley of the shadow of death in behind him and whispering into his ear all of these terrible thoughts. And then coming around in front of him and saying, you know, that's what the devil does. He whispers something in the back door, and then he runs around the front and knocks on the door and says, now, how could a Christian say or believe or think something like that? Now, that only happens to me. Uh, I'm sure it doesn't happen to you. But have you ever thought, that's the craziest thing in the entire world? Christians shouldn't think this. Christians shouldn't do this. And I know this is a stupid example, but, I mean, God's really working on me when it comes to driving, um, I have a, a real short fuse because I think that everyone should be as smart as I am when it comes to driving, right? That, that they should use turn signals and they shouldn't run red lights. And, um, and then I have all, you know, I, I'm thinking, you know, you know you can do this in Jefferson County. You can be deputized as a deputy sheriff and work like weekend events, concerts, things like that as a volunteer force and you get a badge and all that. And I'm thinking about doing it. <laughs> because how satisfying would it be to pull somebody over? That would be awesome. That would be great. But these thoughts come into our heads and we're just like, oh, golly, I, I, I can't believe that. How could someone like me? I'm supposed to be a Christian. Well, this is a true saying and worthy of all men to be received, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That even as believers, we're still sinners. We're still broken. In fact, it's after we become Christians, after we cross the bridge, that we realize Man, I'm a whole lot worse off than I thought. Like when I was an unbeliever, it was just called Saturday night. That's just what I did. And I woke up Sunday morning and I might have some physical uh, issues that I regret, but I never felt bad about my behavior. In fact, sometimes I kind of had a little smile on my face about it. Now I actually feel under condemnation. I feel kind of guilty about it. It's St. Paul in Romans 7 who says, man... Uh, I thought it was pretty good before I met the Lord Jesus Christ. And when Jesus came into my life, it actually accentuated my sin, which actually, instead of making me throw up my hands in despair, made me realize I needed Jesus even more as a Christian than I did as a non-Christian. And so I've crossed the bridge, I've come to the Lord Jesus Christ, and even in Christ, I realize I'm a sinner, but my life is hidden with Christ in God, so if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, and He is the propitiation for our sins. Right? So when the when the devil's whispering and you're at the back door, or when those thoughts by your own sinful nature are coming up and cropping into it, this is what we say to ourselves: If any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, and He is the propitiation for our sins. Now, how many of you actually know what propitiation means? Right? Nobody does right uh. David Tanner does shocker so propitiation means that Jesus death was enough that Jesus was enough that that there's nothing to be built onto that and to rest in the knowledge that Jesus paid it all propitiation more specifically means that the cross did a couple things uh, in the first instance, it was an atonement for sin. This harkens back to the Old Testament, on uh, the day of atonement, when the, um, when, the, when, the, um, when the sacrifice would be made to atone for the sins of Israel. Jesus Christ himself is the Paschal Lamb, or even in the Passover feast, that idea of Jesus being the Lamb. You can go back and listen to our series on Hebrews to get more on that. Uh, so Jesus, uh, the penalty for sin is death. Uh, we know that. And so without blood, there is no forgiveness. And so his his death was enough to forgive us our sins. But more than that, and this is where things people don't realize actually how bad it is until they become Christians, is that what is God's disposition toward us before we're believers? Now, there is absolutely a sense in which God loves the world. He wants the world to be reconciled to himself himself. But when it comes to our sin, he doesn't look at it like an Italian grandmother. You know, he's just like, they're there, I'm going to look the other way. He actually sees it, and there's a Bible word for this, and his emotion is wrath. It has to be destroyed. And so the Bible actually talks about us being objects of wrath. Because the thing about it is, is that it's not as if... We're actually kind of okay with God, and then we get a little bit closer to God, but actually before we cross that bridge, we're not even looking to God. We're not even interested in God. We're we're actually in opposition to God. Going back to Mark chapter 1, that's why Jesus says, repent and believe in the gospel. Repentance means to have a change of mind, or better yet, a change of heart. It means you're heading in one direction, and all of a sudden you realize, I'm going the wrong way, and then you turn and head in the new direction toward the Lord Jesus Christ. So actually, you're not moving, life is not about human beings moving toward God, it's about human beings moving away from God, but God intervenes and opens the eyes of their hearts so that they can turn around and head toward Him. You know, people just aren't kind of dawdling at the bridge wondering, you know, should I cross, should I cross? Now, there are people doing that, but those are people who God has probably already intervened in their life to show them their need for Him. And so, God's disposition towards sin is not simply to look the other way, but actually Jesus' death on the cross is justice and mercy kissing. It satisfies the wrath of God. The payment has been made because that's that's Jesus' language on the cross, isn't it? When he's dying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because all of the wrath that we deserved, all of the judgment that we deserved is now focused where? On Jesus. It's square upon him to the point that even he cries out, why have you forsaken me? And so that's what Jesus has done for us. And then in addition to that, propitiation also means this reconciliation with God does give us everlasting life and a relationship with our heavenly Father uh, who now no longer sees us as objects of wrath, but objects of pure affection and once you're in him you can't get out. If there's nothing you can do to earn God's favor, there's nothing you can do to unearn it. Do you, do you know that? We're very good about saying, "Well, I can't earn my way to heaven. I can't earn my way to God." But sometimes we need to preach to ourselves especially in those moments when we begin to despair. There's nothing I can do to unearn God's favor. I'm his, I'm the prodigal son that when God, even when I kind of go off and I'm coming back, he's looking on the horizon every single day for me. And when he sees me, he comes running and scoops me up. But here's actually where that story is deficient. It's deficient because in that story, in that culture, in that day and age, when the younger son went off in reckless living, who should have gone after him? The older brother. It was up to the older brother to actually go and get him and say, hey, you have to come home. I'm taking you home. We're going to take care of you. And so as beautiful as a picture as it is for the prodigal son to come back, uh, we have an older brother in the Lord Jesus Christ that is much better than the older brother in that story because he's the older brother who actually says, I'm leaving the 99 to come after you. I'm going to pursue you. And when you hesitate, when you despair, remember me, and I'm coming for you, and I've come to rescue you. Well, in the, last couple, in the last 25 minutes, that's the gospel. That's the gospel. Nothing more, nothing less. And so if you have non-Christian friends or people who are struggling absolutely there's a place for the law, and we're going to talk about that later on in this series. Uh, but for the time being, what brings people into fellowship with God is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Full stop. And so when you're dealing with someone, and, you know, you're not to say, hey, well, the first step is for you to get your life together. Prepare to meet Jesus. Have yeah, I mean, you ever seen those signs, prepare to meet thy God, and things like that? Um, Well, the preparation is this, I quit. That's the beautiful image from the Old Testament of of coming without money and buying. And the the old hymn, Come Ye Sinners, Poor and Needy, quotes that of, of really all that's required is that you feel your need for him. And so you come to buy with no money. Wretched and blind I come empty hands, and I simply throw myself at your mercy. Not, uh, well, Jesus tells lots of parables about this. Not, well, I've got to go bury my father first. I don't have the right clothes. I've got to do this. I've got to do that. Jesus is no, come as you are. That's my job to sort that out, not yours. And my spirit will live within you, and he'll do that work in your life. It's an alien work just as justification, which is a big word, uh, is, uh, is, is my work as well. So that's the gospel. Questions, comments, concerns? Okay. Well, the propitiate, the thing that helps me is that that wrath does have to be satisfied, but the pro and propitiate means he does it for us. That's we, right. We can't do it. Yeah. <clears throat> Yeah, I, you know, it's, um, I'm encouraging people to have spiritual conversations with, uh, well, even just Adventists. You know, when you're in Clingman Commons, it's real easy to to talk about football or what's going on in the lives of your families and things like that, and that's great. We want you to do that, but um, it's funny because I think some of us would find it very awkward to say, hey, what did you think of the sermon? I would find that awkward. Um, Or, or, hey, have you... um, has, any, has God done anything in your life recently that, that, that you would want to give testimony to that might encourage me because I'm kind of floundering here? Um, you know, th- those types of, of guided conversations. And, and when you do uh, get into a conversation where someone doesn't understand the gospel and you just kind of understand that you're just putting it out there and God's going to do the work. And that's the crazy thing is people are like, oh, I've got to have these apologetics and I've got to be all buffed up and, and know all this information And um, the testimony of Scripture is that that's just not true. That's just not true. And I would bet that most of us in here who are Christians, our testimony is that someone who was not a Ph.D. or a great world-renowned evangelist led us to faith. Probably a mom, a grandmother, or someone in our family who just had a very simple faith and told us about Jesus and his love. And we crossed the bridge. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for bringing us to this place and for the glorious good news of the gospel that you come in this world to announce that we are saved, uh, that rescue is is upon us and that we've been reconciled to God by your cross and resurrection. And so, Lord, that we would live in light of the gospel and not be sidetracked by uh, the burden of sin that we carry, that we would cast it upon you, nor, Lord, would we uh, put up uh, a misemphasis on the role of, uh, of the law in our lives, especially around those things of moral behavior, which, Lord, you care a lot about. But, Lord, ultimately, uh, none of those things are able to reconcile us to you. And so, Lord, we pray that our lives would indeed be built on the gospel of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.